Welcome back to another episode of the Testudo Times podcast with your host Sam Austria alongside Ben Dixon. Ben, it's a great day. We both know why it's a great day because it's the first day of March. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm very excited about March. It's, it's literally it's the best month of the year. Um, I think we can agree on that, at least from a, a sports perspective. Um, it's awesome. I think last night I tweeted 26 minutes and 30 seconds until March just to mock John Rothstein a little bit. Who tweets every hour until March, but I think the point remains the excitement was there. We saw some great conference tournament basketball last night in person. Uh, sure we'll get did. to cover Maryland and the season here, and, and we'll be in Chicago next week. It's it's the best time of year, Sam. It's the, the madness before the madness. I think if we're talking about it, I know the Big Ten regular season and everything's wrapping up right now, but from a national perspective, with all these mid-major tournaments starting now, it's basically like a, a major single to double elimination tournament for some of the you know at-large bids, but basically a single elimination tournament for the entire sport. It's amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. It's it's the best time of year. It's March is here, and we did we did see some some Patriot League tournament hoops last night. We called American Bucknell. It's a great game. American edged them out in that first round of the Patriot League tournament. Bucknell season is over, but uh, it was nice to see that in person. But you're right. It's it's March, and March is here. It's the best time of year. It's the the season's winding down. The conference tournaments are starting up. The low level, the low major, low mid majors, the high mid majors, uh, high level basketball is all winding down this week. The regular season is closing out. Of course, Maryland's regular season is closing out this week. And then conference tournaments play starts next week. And then we have March Madness. It's the best time of year. It's it's the greatest thing um, that sports has to offer. And, and we're going to be talking about all of it right here on the Testudo Times podcast, including the Big Ten tournament. So just a little preview um, for next week's podcast before we go full steam ahead today. Um, next Wednesday, we're going to do a full Big Ten tournament preview um, not just Maryland, of course, we're going to focus in on Maryland and their path, but it's going to be a full Big Ten tournament preview. And then we're going to be in Chicago next week for the Big Ten tournament. And every single after every single Maryland game, we're going to do a podcast and we're going to release a podcast probably a few hours after every game, um, win or loss. Um, and so we'll see. We'll see how they go. They should be playing on Friday, but we'll talk about that um, in, in a minute. First, let's get to Maryland's last week. A two and a week for Maryland, which is which is really important as they're climbing up the Big Ten standings. Currently in a tie for second. We're going to talk about the standings and and those tiebreakers a little later. Um, but currently in a tie for second, and they really control their own destiny. This past week, a blowout win over Minnesota. Again, a really bad Minnesota team. They beat them by thirty five on the road. It's their only road win this season. And uh, there's really we're not going to talk about that too much because. This Minnesota team is, is barely a Big Ten team at this point. They really are struggling, and they're really bad, and they're kind of depleted too. So they came into College Park in Maryland, just blew them out, as everyone expected. But there was a huge, highly anticipated mass- matchup this past Sunday when Northwestern came to t- town. Northwestern had a had a one-game edge over Maryland at the time. If Maryland went, won this game, they were going to surpass Northwestern in the standings. Technically, they would have the same record, but Maryland would have won the head-to-head. So this was really a game... Uh, for second place in the Big Ten at that time. And Northwestern kind of just got bullied. I mean, it was a really good game the first half. It was a high-scoring game. Not a lot of defense was being played. High, high quality in terms of the shot-making from both teams. Maryland led by two, 41 to 39th half. And then the second half, Maryland locked in defensively and continued its hot shooting. Maryland shot 64% from, the, from, the, uh, from three. That's remarkable for Maryland. They made 14 threes, the most they've made in any game this season. For a team that's been really inconsistent shooting the ball, but for most of the season, they were 
the worst or the second worst team in the Big Ten in, in three-point shooting. And they completely jumped. They're shooting 32% on the year now. That's now ninth in the Big Ten, certainly not worst or second worst. So this was a huge game for Maryland from a shooting perspective, from a standings perspective. But what were your overall takeaways? Yeah, I just think it has to be the shooting. Um, I made my lead in the story about that. I kind of themed it around that. It, it, it was the shooting. You go 14 for 22 from three, and you're what? I had the stats at the time. 318th in the country and second worst three-point shooting team in the Big Ten at the time, and you put on a spectacle like that. That's the story, and I think it kind of leads you to believe there's got to be some middle ground, um, and I think that's the biggest takeaway. We'll get into the kind of the nooks and crannies of the game here, but you know, you shoot 14 for 22 from three and there's been big 10 games where what they've shot three of 21 from three. I think they have, they've had that exact mark on multiple occasions. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think Purdue and Michigan state, they were both three for 21 from three. Um, I'll have to double check that one. There's gotta be a middle ground that exists here somewhere. And hopefully it does. Cause look, I, I, I don't really don't think Maryland's ever going to shoot like that again. It's that's one of the best shooting performances you can get in a basketball game. In any sort of recipe that that you get, um, especially in a conference home game, a really important conference home game with those kinds of stakes on the line. So I think shooting is is, is certainly one. And then, of course, I just think that another overwhelming thing, just finishing the, the 10 and 0 season at home, what a remarkable accomplishment that is. You secure an over 500 record in Big Ten, first 10 and 0 record in Maryland history at home in conference play because the conference only expanded to 20 home games um, in the past five years, I think five years ago or so, and only the second ever 10 and 0 home season uh, in big 10 play. Purdue was the only other team to do that a couple of years back. So I just think really impressive for Willard and the team and the staff and, and the guys who stayed on, on that level. Um, and then just the shooting as well. I think those are just the, the two biggest things for me from that game. Definitely a, a moment to be remembered for, for multiple reasons. Yeah, before we get into some player performances, let's talk about that home record because it really is remarkable. I mean, um, like you said, last time they did that was 2014-15, but that was only 9-0. Since they've expanded, they haven't gone 10-0 and um, in, in conference home games. And, you know, I wrote about it after the game, but, you know, a big part of, of Willard reviving this program was bringing the fan base back involved and, and getting them engaged again. I mean, I sat through every single home game last year and it was it was dead. That arena that's that's called the Spring Break Capital of the World, a term coined by John John Rothstein. But the reason is because of how electric that arena gets and how incredible of an atmosphere can get when Maryland basketball is good. It was completely dead last year. And of course, there wasn't a lot to root for. It was a transition period. Um, it was it was a weird time. But to just see one year later how alive and electric that, that arena has been, how they've really propelled them to wins. I mean, obviously, it's when you talk about home court advantage and why teams are better at home, it's the familiarity with the rims, with the court, the not, not having to travel. But it's, it's, it's the arena, it's the road, at, it's the atmosphere that you get when your home crowd is behind you. Um, and they make it really difficult for opponents to come in and win. And, and you saw that all season and really culminated in this game against uh, Northwestern with another sold-out, incredible crowd. But it's really just that was the big thing for Willard to come in. You know, he wasn't going to win a national championship or, or even win a Big Ten championship, even though he does have a chance, clearly, um, in in year one. It was it was revive this program by bringing life back to the fan base, bring life back to Xfinity Center. And he's done that. And he's done a phenomenal job with it because uh the, the last the last few games, I mean, almost every single home game, they've won because of the crowd has propelled them to those wins. I mean, Northwestern was hanging around for a lot of that game. 
And the second half, they go on this run. Um, the crowd, the crowd is completely behind them, and that's the reason why they were able to pull away. So that that was a huge takeaway for me. I appreciate you mentioning that because I almost forgot it. But after the game, I wrote about that. Just how how impressive that ten and zero mark is, because it, you know everyone's better at home than on the road, and Maryland's been really bad on the road for sure. But how impressive it is that one of the greatest college basketball venues we have going right now in the entire country, when it's live and electric, Kevin Willard brought life back to it. So, so if anything was accomplished in year one, that was it. No doubt. And I think when you look back at the schedule and you see that, you know, that lone home loss in, in non-conference, 27 points to UCLA. I mean, that's looking like one of the, the best wins of the year, <laughs> considering where it happened and how it happened. It's almost like unfathomable in the sense, that obviously, you know, we, we talked about the schedule at the time and that was really bad leading up to it, but Maryland was perfect at home in big 10 play. And look, some of them were, were close games. A lot of these were blowouts, like Northwestern, sole possession to second place, blowout, beat them by 16 in the second half. Purdue, the once number one team in the country, beat them by 14 points. The game wasn't close in the second half. It was a complete blowout. It was, what, it was a 29-4 run. It was electric. The crowd just got louder every single time, and that game didn't end up being close. Indiana won by 11. That was an imposing win, Sam. In the second half, Indiana had no chance of winning that game. What else is on the schedule? Ohio State, I know they were losing at half in, in January 8th, and we'll get into the preview of that game. But Maryland, I think, went on a 15-0 run in the first six minutes of the second half there to end the game. I, I know Ohio State came closer. But again, second half, crowd got behind him, able to do something. Beat Wisconsin by 18 points at home, a team you lost to on the road, another blowout win. They weren't just beating teams and squeaking by at home. They were blowing them out. Like, it was killing them. They were killing them. It, it was, and it, it and was, it was those runs. It was those yeah. runs. Like, talking about that 27-4 to run for Purdue. Like, it was those runs where, like, Mer- like, earlier this year, Willard talked about how when you're at home, you need to capitalize on those runs because if your fan base gets engaged, it gets behind you, and that helps you propel you to go on even longer runs. And that it's just those incredible runs that they've done at home, and that's really what's kind of let, let them blow some of these teams out yeah. where it hasn't even been close. I mean, Maryland is the best team in the Big Ten, maybe the best team in the country at home. But too bad they're not playing every game at home. Yeah, too bad indeed. But it, it, I'm I'm happy we, we had a conversation about it. Definitely special, definitely sets the tone for teams that, you know, we expect to be more talented uh, even next year and moving forward. I mean, the, the Xfinity Center is certainly, you know, a house of horrors for opposing teams, especially in the Big Ten this year. But yeah, it, it's... Yeah, definitely. It, but so so let's so I mean let's talk about some individual player performances because we talk about the shooting performance as a whole when they shot sixty four percent made fourteen threes the most they've made all season, but every single star showed up. We should mention it was senior night, um, and there's a lot of seniors on this team that were honored: Don Carey, Jameer Young, Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, Patrick Emilian. But everyone showed up, including and we're going to start with this guy who we've been very critical of all year for good reason, of course, but. Don Carey shot four for seven from three for 13 points. That was incredibly impressive to see. We've seen him have um, some some decent shooting nights here and there, but really mostly like against Minnesota, against at home, against Nebraska, he was four, four from three, really against uh, not great teams where they've just blown him out, hasn't been competitive. Don Carey made some huge shots to extend Maryland's lead against a really good Northwestern team. That was really impressive to see. And it was even more impressive the fact that Everyone's been so critical of him all year. He knows he's been struggling from three. He's having a really down year, um, given everyone's expectation. And then to come out this late in the season after having a really poor season, your last game at home, 
and shoot that well um, and make that big of an impact on a game, it was really impressive. And and his minutes have been sporadic. I mean, you've seen yeah. E. Martinez play a lot more than him at certain games this season. You've seen him been benched in the second half on more than one occasion because he hasn't had an impact on the game. So really the strategy with him is you kind of feel it out for the first 10 minutes or so. Is Don Carey hot? Is he having an impact on this game offensively in terms of shooting the ball? And if he is, he's going to play a lot of minutes. I mean, he played 28 minutes um, against Northwestern, and Ian Martinez only played 15. So in terms of that split, it's really going to be a game-by-game feel of who's feeling it between those two. But it was just really impressive to see him come out after the, the really poor season he had and just shoot the lights out of the ball. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you brought up the minutes, too. He played eight minutes of 45 minutes in that loss to Nebraska. Completely just a non-factor in the rotation. Michigan State, what did he play, 10 or 11 minutes in the first half? Didn't play in the second half as the team made a comeback and took the lead and almost won that game. So you got to be happy for Don, especially on on his senior day. It hasn't been the, the best season for him, and he knows that. Everyone else knows that. Um, he's now shooting 31.6% from three, which you know isn't isn't terrible, but for a guy who was nearly – Oh, what a 40% three point career, three point shooter coming in, not, clearly not uh, by his expectations for him or by the team. But you look at the three pointers he made against Northwestern, they're big threes. First half hits a three. They take the lead by three. Northwestern ties it up again. He hits another three, take the lead by three. And then the second half when Maryland was going on, you know, a big run to extend their lead to double digits. He hit a, lead, a three to extend the lead to 11, hit a three to extend the lead to 16. Like these were important shots he was hitting. And I'm, I'm, you know, you brought up, that his best Big Ten games have been in kind of meaningful ones, we've felt. Like the, the game against, uh, what, Nebraska at home, he went four for four from three. Uh, Minnesota was two for three from three. They were going to win those games no matter what. Um, so to see him contribute in meaningful fashion and hit threes when they matter, and, you know, especially in that first half when you talk about Northwestern's offense in that first half, they couldn't miss. Like Northwestern shot, what, 59 percent from the field in the first half hit four threes maryland didn't have an answer for northwestern in the first half offensively uh, or defensively excuse me northwestern's offense really gave maryland problems so don Carey's threes were big in the first half uh don't want to lose sight of that um and definitely you know good, good for him to have that moment at home his last career home game um he's exhausted his eligibility but um i, I thought that was pretty neat for him to, to finish that way yeah, and then also Jameer Young, his backcourt partner, was phenomenal shooting the ball. I mean, he's, he's been great all year as a scorer, but he really hasn't been a very good three-point shooter for the most part. Uh, but he was four for seven from three. So when you have a backcourt combined for eight threes um, when they haven't done that all season, that's like it's going to be hard to lose that game, and that's just phenomenal. Like If you're shooting that well, it's going to be – like Willard said after the game, like if you, shoot, if you make 14 threes in a game, it's going to be pretty hard to lose a game. Um, so do we expect that hot shooting to continue at that level? Probably not, but it was really impressive that at least that backcourt duo for a night had the type of shooting performance, um, that, I, that, that, that was really propelled them to the win. But then also we talk about Jameer Young all the time. Hakeem Hart has been phenomenal shooting the ball in recent games. I mean, he's just been the most steady, consistent player for this team in in the last like five six games i mean in the beginning of the season he was he was like that he was really steady as a slasher um as a, as a post scorer and he was shooting the ball well and then he kind of completely fell off he was still great defensively but offensively he had a bunch of single digit performance performances he really struggled um and he really didn't make a three he didn't make let's let's go through these numbers here you know he had five threes against illinois five threes mm-hmm. and then after that he did and that was that was december 2nd after that, he didn't have another game where he had two or more threes until February 11th. 
That's over two months where he where he he either had one or zero threes in every single game. But since that February 11th game against Penn State, he's two for four from three, two for four from three, four for six from three, two for three from from three against Minnesota and against Northwestern this past Sunday, two for four from three. So he's been lights out shooting the ball. And that's going to be so important for this team because a big reason why they were struggling from three was he was considered one of their best three-point shooters along with Don Carey, and they were both struggling. If they can get hot, like you can say the sky's the limit for this team, but like it, re- it really is. Like In terms of their, their Big Ten title hopes, um, in terms of making a run in the NSA tournament, if this team gets hot from three and it starts with Akeem Hart, who's been really consistent in the last five or six games shooting the ball, and if Don Carey can get going like we saw on Sunday night, if this team is shooting the ball at a high clip, I don't see anybody stopping them. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's the missing piece, right? We've talked about it all the year. If this team is not a bad three-point shooting team and it is a decent three-point shooting team, it changes the whole complexion of the opponent you're going against. Like Chris Collins came in the, the press conference last game and was like, yeah, like we didn't account for Don Carey hitting four seven threes and Ian Martinez going three for three from deep. I mean, I, I wouldn't account for that either, but maybe like – I keep using the word middle ground. Maybe there's somewhere in between of, you know, maybe those guys can each hit a three for game and you got to be aware of them on the perimeter at all times. And, and of course it would change defensive game plans. And to your point about Hakeem and his recent hot shooting stretch, I've wrote about it a bunch. He's their go-to three point shooter right now in terms of reliability when they need that clutch shot, he's coming through, but you can argue he's their most complete offensive player right now as well. Look what he's done over the past two games, seven assists, and six assists against Minnesota, seven against Northwestern. So 13 assists in the past two games. He's thriving as a facilitator. He's allowing Jameer to be able to play off the ball, take a little pressure off him. Sam, I know you asked about that um, at one of the recent press conferences, but it, it is – Hakeem is such a versatile offensive player when he's playing well and he's shooting at that ability where he can contribute from three where the team is lacking in that department and you know, also become a facilitator and take some pressure off guys like Jameer and and you know other guys who might have the ball in their hands. As I well. feel like I feel like Hakeem Hart's kind of been called the X factor for like years now. Um, doesn't it feel like that the last couple last season? Yeah. Um, John, like people were coming in watching practice, say Hakeem Hart grew. He put on a ton of size. Yeah, he's kind of the X factor for that team last year. It feels like this year there's been a there was a similar sentiment at the beginning of the season. I really feel like. Um, you know, you know what you're going to get from uh, from Jameer Young. He's been phenomenal all year. You don't know what you're going to get from Don Carey, but um, he could have a great night, could have a poor night. But Ian Martinez can assume some of those minutes if he needs to. Julian Reese has been pretty consistent um, around the double-double range. He had a double-double on against Northwestern, 12 points, um, 10 rebounds. He's been pretty consistently good um, the last few games. Hakeem Hart is the guy where it's like, if he's clicking, if he has everything going, both assuming certain point guard responsibilities when um, Jameer Young is either out of the game or, or off the ball and taking some of that relief off of him, but also finding his spots in the post, being a great slasher. He's a great rebounder, um, playmaker, shooting the ball at a high clip. And of course, he's always been a high-level defender um, throughout his career here. If he is connecting on all those cylinders, I think that this Maryland team will will and can win the Big Ten title. Um, obviously it's a big if, but I really feel like he is the X factor. And I know it's been a sentiment for years now um, with him on this team, but it feels like he is the X factor. And, and this team will go as far as, as he takes them in a way. Do you feel that? Um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely a valid point. And I think he's, I would, I would agree with that. Cause I like 
I think the team's probably going to go as far as Jameer takes him in terms of, you know, if he has a bad night and it's over. But I th- I think to your point, if, if you pencil in that Jameer is going to give you that night in and night out, I'd say Hakeem's the guy with the biggest upside on both sides of the floor in terms of what he can do scoring, what he can do facilitating, what he can do defending your team's best player. It, it's you're right. You're hundred percent right. I, I think, I think it's, it's those two. It obviously starts with Jameer penciled in number one, no doubt about that. But then outside of him, if you're bringing up second options, if Hakeem's playing his best, he gives you the high ceiling. I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, obviously this team goes as Jameer goes. I mean, if, if he, but he, if he's struggling um, this team's gonna have a really tough, tough time, t- tough time overcoming that. They rely on him a lot. Um, hundred percent. My point is kind of like I trust Jameer, um, to show up, especially in in some in some big moments in tournament games, um, Big Ten and NCAA tournament. I trust Jameer to show up, um, because we've seen him be consistent all season long. He rarely is having a bad game or struggling. We've seen it on the road a couple times, but it, but it's pretty rare. So I trust him. The point about the X factor with Akeem is like. Other than Jameer, it's hard to trust anyone consistently um, to show up over over a large stretch or show up in in some big moments. Um, Hakeem Hart's put together a great stretch, um, but it hasn't been consistent throughout the entire season. So it's hard for me to trust anyone else. But if Hakeem Hart can continue um, this level of play, I really think that um, the the skies. I really think that this team can go to a whole other level that hasn't even really been unlocked uh, in terms of over consistent stretch where they would have to in a, in a tournament setting. But the, the other guy is, is Dante Scott. Um, we talked about Dante Scott a lot. We were critical, very critical of him yep. on the last podcast because he was coming off two really bad games against Purdue, even though they won only five points, two for six shooting ball. And then it was his worst game of, his, of the season, maybe of his career against Nebraska, where he had five points as well, was two for 16 from the, from the field, one for eight from three. Um, he was just missing bunnies, easy shot. He was getting to his spots. He was just missing some easy shots that he typically makes. Um, so we were critical of him last week, but he's bounced back. Um, you know, against Northwestern, I mean, excuse me, against Minnesota. It's Minnesota, so you can't really put too much stock in it. But he had 18 points, seven for nine. Um, he made a three, efficient shooting night. And then against Northwestern, he had he had 11 points and he was five for eight from the field as well. And the biggest thing for me in each of those games were he was one for one from three. He knocked in a three, but he wasn't relying on his three ball against that Minnesota, uh, um, excuse me, against that Nebraska team on the road. He was shooting a ton of threes. He was getting to his spots down low, but he was missing those bunnies. And when he was, he he wasn't consistently going to them. He was just jacking up threes and taking some really poor shots um, from beyond the arc. But against these last in these last two games against Minnesota and Northwestern, he can shoot the three ball without a doubt. He knows that everybody knows that. But he's at he's best when he's getting to his spots in the mid post, in the low post, backing down defenders, finding mismatches, mismatches, and just going to work on those guys. That's when he's at his best. And then he can stretch the floor and, and knock down a three as, as a kind of stretch four guy. But when he's jacking up threes at a high rate, this team is not at its best, and he's not at its best. And that's why he really struggled against Nebraska. I thought he was one free from three. He just wasn't feeling it from three, but continuing to jack them up. But these last two games, he was two for two from three in those two games combined. So that's really important moving forward for him is, is remain aggressive in the paint and let your three ball come to you. you he's gonna, he can make threes at a high clip. He can easily go for a three, four night any time. It wouldn't shock anybody. He can make them at a high clip. But if you're jacking them up, it's not a recipe for success. And that's what was impressive these last two games for me. Yeah, and I, I think it kind of relates directly to the biggest criticism with him is, look, sometimes he settles for three and he chucks up bad shots and it's 
you know, an overall reflection of the type of game he's playing. And and it's probably not going to be great winning basketball in, in, in that regard. However, you mentioned the two for two from three last game. He's able to get to his spot in the paint, kind of that bread and butter hook shot, finish it a little bit. It, it's that's where he's thriving the most when he's down low. I, I know, I know he's a shooter and he's not like the typical power forward where, where he's, he's, he's going to bang down low, but when it, it seems like, and it's not, not a, uh, to say he's a bad shooter or anything, he's shooting 30% from three, which isn't great. We've seen him as good as 44% from three uh, in 2021. Um, but I think the recipe for Dante is there when he's inside, he's banging bodies. He's, he's able to get to a spot, finish in the post. Like you said, against Nebraska, he didn't, didn't finish those for whatever reason and kind of led to, you know, jacking from three and trying to get on the board as well. Um, but yeah, I I think you you pretty much said it perfectly. What it, when he's able to succeed from two point range down low and and in mid range and taking advantage of his matchup because he can be a matchup nightmare for some four men in this league, um, it, it's big time and it's it's a recipe for winning basketball. When he's settling for threes, which we haven't seen these past two games, it's it's certainly something that could hurt. Yeah, and it should be noted too, like in terms of three point shooting performance, E. Martinez was three for three from three, and he only played fifteen minutes, but he had nine points. I mean, it was really a phenomenal performance all around against Northwestern. They were just shooting the lights out, and as much as we're praising them right now, and one last thing about this game, I just have one more point about this game is defensively, um, they were struggling in the first half getting stops on Northwestern. Northwestern came in lights out in the road arena, great crowd for Maryland that we discussed earlier. Northwestern was not phased though. They came in lights out. The adjustments Maryland made, um, especially on Chase um a, a, a diggy, I think I you pronounce Chase Audis. Chase Audis. Chase Audis. <laughs> Thank you for the pronunciation correction. Um against Chase Audis, Maryland was really struggling. I mean he was getting whatever looks he wanted on the first half, honestly, getting to his spots, knocking down threes. He was two for two for three from three in the first half. Um and he was getting whatever looks he wanted. But in the second half, uh, he, he was completely shut down. He had 14 points in the first half, only two in the second half. And a big part of that was Willard kind of discussed. They went into the halftime locker room. They do this all the time was they show up some film and, and they were just doing a poor job closing out, poor job contesting him, poor job locating him overall. And they showed the team the clips, made those adjustments and came out and completely shut him down in the second half. And then his backcourt partner, Boo Booey, who's one of the best players in the Big Ten, um, maybe in the entire country. He was coming off a game we scored 35 um, uh, the game before in a loss to Illinois, I believe that was. But he was completely shut down too. He He's averaging, I believe, 20, close to 20 points a game. And he only scored four, I think 18 something. And he only scored four points on one for nine shooting. It's one for five from the three. Maryland made it really difficult on him. Um, they were sent, they were switching a lot. They were sending a ton of different looks at him, um, blitzing some of his screens. They were just doing a great job kind of preventing him from from getting whatever easy looks that, that he normally gets um, and put put him in a weird rhythm and, and a chaotic rhythm, and they did a great job with it. And it just goes back to Maryland's defensive game plans against some of these best players in the conference. Whether it's a big or it's a guard, Maryland does a great job of shutting down the opponent's best player. Yeah, I was just about to say the same thing. Whether it's a big or it's a guard, Maryland does a great job shutting down the opponent's best player. I think you took that word for word out of my mouth. Boo Booey was really good with eight assists in the distributing game. Four points after scoring 35. Like, this guy's their go-to scorer. Him and Aldiz, 
one for nine from the field, one for five from three for Bowie. He missed a couple of layups. Maryland was just really, really disruptive in, in terms of their defensive game plan with him. And Aldige, obviously the big half, like you mentioned, struggled in the second. The, it's the defensive adjustments, man. Like people, and Willard talked about it yesterday um, at the press conference or at, at his, you know, pre-media availability before Ohio State. Like he goes into halftime. He only talks to him for a little bit. They go in, they watch about six minutes of film. And clearly, you know, some some teams make second half adjustments, some players kind of play it down like you're not able to do much at half, like whatever adjustments they're making, it's it's the magic touch. Like it's completely game changing. The second halves at home have been lethal and obviously a very, very big part of that has been limiting, you know, the opposing team's best offensive threats. Aldiz only two in the second half. Boo Booey one didn't make a shot. You know, the highest scorer on Northwestern in the second half was Brooks Barnheiser with six, and he shot below 50% from the field. 20 points in 20 minutes, amazing second half defensive performance for the Terps. Um, and you got to give credit to those halftime adjustments. Um, I, I know I know you're thinking of maybe uh, doing a piece on that one, Sam. Don't don't want to spoil anything here, but Willard gave, gave a really good insight on that yesterday um, in, in terms of what they do at half and, and how they're able to adjust to team's best players because it's become a really constant, really encouraging trend um, for Maryland. Yeah, players. and it's, it's not even – and something he talked about was they're not like changing their entire game plan. It's not even adjustments as much. And I think when you talk to a lot of basketball people, both at the college level and the NBA level – Everyone, like, the media loves to talk about adjustments. I mean, John Rothstein's thing for Kevin Willard is more adjustments than a chiropractor. People love to talk about adjustments. There's really not too many in-game adjustments um, that are made from from game to game. Or, excuse me, from in-game. Like, there's just, there's it's hard to make adjustments that quickly. Of course, there's certain things, like, you can ch- switch up a matchup. Um, you can change a pick and roll coverage but for the most part there's not too many adjustments that are made in the middle of a game it's you have a game plan coming into the game and you want to execute it and you create that game plan because you trust it it's more like when you're going into the halftime locker room it's more you're not executing the game plan let me show show you some film of you fixing mistakes and making corrections to the game plan. Like you, you didn't properly close out. You botched this coverage. Let me show you a clip of how you botched this coverage. This is what you're supposed to do. So it's not necessarily adjustments per se. It's more just like corrections and, and, and fixing mistakes um, that, that they're seeing. And then, and using that film to show the players that is a great thing, but they're not like changing the entire game plan at halftime of a game to, to how they're going to co- cover someone because they made that game plan, um, because they knew it would work and they 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 trusted it and they they thought it would work. They're not going to completely throw that out the window because something went um awry. They're going to kind of just maybe tweak some things, but show people of, of how you're not executing the game plan or how you can do this better in certain situations. So that's really what that halftime locker room and that film being used is for. Because adjustments can be a little overblown sometimes. Um, in, in terms of in, in the middle of an NBA game, both at the college and NBA level. Um, but but that's really a great job by Willard just and, and his entire staff to locate that film that quickly and, and show his players and and good job by them having the retention to take that and and compartmentalize it and then execute it um in the second half. Yeah, without a doubt, and it's just for them to see what they're doing wrong too. You know, like like you said, like you can only make so many adjustments or actual changes in the fifteen minutes between you know, halftime and the start of the second half or the, between the end of the first half and the start of the second half, because the players are chilling for a couple minutes. Um, the last four or five minutes, they're back out there warming up already. So it's, it's tough. And, but for them to be able to see and, you know, 
actually watch film. Um, I'd, I'd be interested in like the actual process of how they get the actual clips from the first half up so quickly in terms of what they've done wrong. Um, obviously yeah. the, the behind the scenes staff definitely doing work there, but um, very, very impressive uh, what they're able to do in, in the second half, not only just limiting um, opponents, best defensive players, but the overall effort, it seems like it's been an every game trend, especially at home. Yeah. And, um, as much as we're praising Maryland right now, because they deserve it, 10-0 at home is, is no small feat. This team was picked to finish 10th in the conference. Um, oh, I just thought of this. Should we have a conversation about Big Ten Coach of the Year, or should we wait that until the se- wait until the season's over? We can, the regular we can, season's we can, we can wait. We can wait until the regular season's over, I think. Okay. But um, um, We'll have that conversation yeah. when, when the time comes. We'll see how these next two games play out. But... um. But my point that I was going to make is as much as we're praising them and how well they've been at home in this season, the home schedule is over. Like this team is not the same team when they travel um, as, and as opposed to when they're at home and the home schedule is over as successful as a home season. It was it's in the rear view and Maryland now is to go on the road for two more road atmospheres in the big 10 this week to close out the season. And then they're on the road. Not a road atmosphere per se, a neutral site location, but they're on the road in Chicago for the Big Ten tournament and then on the road for wherever they are in the NCAA tournament. So let's talk about these next two games coming up. Maryland's first going to be playing at Ohio State tonight. That game's tonight. Um, this is a really bad Ohio State team. They're, they're they're not bad in terms of their talent, but they're just having a really poor season. Um, they're 4-14 and 14 in the Big Ten, I believe, 12-17 and 17 overall. Yep. This team was once ranked. You know, this was a team that kind of everyone thought um, had the potential to to be one of the best teams in the Big Ten, maybe win the Big Ten. I'm sure people picked them to win the Big Ten before the season, and they've just really struggled. Um, there's not there's not too much else to say. Their, their, season, their season's over. They have no chance to make an NCAA tournament. They're likely not going to make a run in the Big Ten tournament. Um, but they still beat Illinois at home last week, yeah, seventy-two to sixty. An Illinois team where it was a pretty big game for them in terms of their standing and trying to get a top four bye in the Big Ten tournament. And Illinois just dropped the ball on the road against the Ohio State team. So you kind of thought at some point maybe Ohio State doesn't have much to play for anymore. They don't have much le- left gas gas left in the tank. They're kind of just going to roll over their season. But they proved against Illinois that's not what they're doing at all. And then the game before, Penn State beat them, but they still were very competitive against against the Penn State team, a desperate Penn State team. Mm-hmm. So Maryland has a really tough matchup tonight at Ohio State where Maryland's really struggled on the road. Willard keeps saying they're close, they're getting better on the road. But the reality is, and I agree with them, certainly better than they were when they played Michigan and Rutgers in, in early January. But the reality is they're 1-7 on the road. And their one win is against Minnesota. They don't, I don't even consider them having a real Big Ten road win this season. And yeah. now they have two opportunities tonight against Ohio State and then Sunday at Penn State. What are you, what are you looking for in these next two games? Look, I think you got to take a little bit of what happened last time with that Ohio State game because Zed Key didn't play. It was the one game he missed in kind of that he, that span where he got hurt against Purdue, missed the Maryland game, and came back. But now he's out for the season. Like he's he's fully having shoulder surgery. What's today? Wednesday. Tomorrow he's having shoulder surgery. He's done for the season. So Ohio State is going to be weak inside. Um, Felix Akpari, six eleven freshman, good player. Juju, you know, top top half of the Big Ten centers for sure. Probably worked his way into that top five conversation. Kevin Willard has said he'll take him over anyone. He's got to have a big game tonight. He just has to. It, and he 
had a decent game, I think, against Ohio State that first time uh, without Zed Key. Um, I think that shoulder injury was still probably affecting him. He, he said, um, you know, he got hurt towards the end of December. Um, and that, that shoulder injury was definitely causing him some trouble. I'm looking for Juju to have a big game and just, you know, overall, you got to be able to take care of business because this is an inferior team. This is a team that is 12 and 17, five games over five under 500. Look, Maryland's going to make the tournament no matter what. They could lose to Ohio State, lose to Penn State, and lose the first game of the Big Ten tournament. They'll still be in the NCAA field. Their metrics are good enough. They've done enough this year to lock up that spot. However, if you're really a team that's going to be a legit threat in the Big Ten tournament, in the NCAA tournament, if you want to prove some validity to your number 21 national ranking, by the way, which just came out Monday, you got to win this game. You just have to take care of business. And I think I think that's the overwhelming theme for me heading into this one. Take care of business. That's all it is. It's the, it's the same the same thing when they went to Nebraska too. Take care of an inferior team on the road. Yeah, the, the one th- the one thing for me is in terms of Willard and we're talking about coach of the year and the job he's done this season, he hasn't figured out how to win on the road in this conference. And you can't necessarily blame him because it's really hard to do in this conference, win on the road. And and so I don't necessarily blame him for that, but he still has two games left to, to try to figure it out. And he has, I don't know what it is exactly. I don't know if it's the travel. I don't know if it's just the um, being out in the, in the hotel environment and having the, you have a weird routine because if it's the road atmosphere and that's really what's getting them and there's incredible crowds all across the Big Ten. I mean, you look at Nebraska, that was a bad Nebraska team in terms of the record where Maryland went in and there were still 15,000 people in the crowd. So yeah. everywhere you go, you're going to have a phenomenal atmosphere in this conference. But if it's more the road atmosphere, I'm not worried as much about Maryland when they go into neutral sites in Chicago and wherever they are for the NCAA tournament. But if it's just being on the road, the travel and just not getting into a right routine or rhythm, something's off. And and that's going to really hurt them when they go into Chicago and 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 play in, in the tournament. So I don't I don't know what it is. I don't even know if Willard just put his thumb on it necessarily because he hasn't been able to figure it out. But I'm sure they're continuing to change routines, changing maybe the time they get to the stadium, uh, probably changing their meals. <laughs> if he's as superstitious as he says he is, there's probably a lot that they're trying to do to change how they come out on the road because it's not that they're playing bad for 40 minutes on the road. It's the first five to ten minutes in those yeah. games, consistently, where they're really struggling. It was against like it was like that in Nebraska, and then they put together pretty complete like thirty minutes before the last four minutes, and they completely fell apart. They had a seven point lead pretty late in that game, but for the most part, it's been the it's been the starts. They come out lethargic. They take quick shots. They're not moving the ball like you see them. They're not getting and when they they can't move the ball and score, they're not getting set up in the press, which has been really helpful for them. They're not controlling the tempo in the game. There's been so many things that they they don't look like they're the identity that this Maryland team has had all season, especially mm-hmm. at at home when they're on the road. So I don't know how they fix that necessarily, but those are some of the things that they, they need to get turned around. And it's honestly great that they they're in in the two seed, tied for the two seed. They have a, they're in the tournament, they're locked in the tournament, and now they have a chance in these last two games of the season, last week of the season, to figure out how to win at home. That's kind of a perfect situation for Willard and this entire team. Because like you said, they're locked into the tournament. There's no question about that. It's really the matter of seeding, which they get. But they do control their own destiny in the Big Ten tournament. If they win out, there's a good chance, not 100%, but they're, they're almost, there's a very good chance that they'll be the number two seed in the entire Big Ten tournament. And if they win out, let's just throw this scenario out there. If they win out and Purdue loses out, somehow, some way, they would clinch a share of the Big Ten regular season title that's not going to happen because Purdue's not going to lose out but it's 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 a possibility um 
I just I, I don't I don't know if they're gonna um be able to win out. What, what do you what do you have Maryland going in these next two games? Um, I think I think one and one. I, I think Maryland's gonna beat Ohio State tonight. I think the the two things that you talked about that when Maryland's winning they dictate it's the tempo and the physicality. And and I'll add a third, just the you know the overall intensity and buy into because obviously that's always there and that kind of goes hand in hand with those first two. But how many times have we seen losing coaches at the Xfinity Center come into the come to the podium and be like Maryland was the more physical team tonight? They out hustled us, they outplayed us, more physical. One, I mean that needs to happen on the road. I think making your first shot is big for that, and that also goes hand in hand with tempo. Making your shots, you got to be able to press. Maryland presses, they're going to dictate the tempo. They're going to win the game. They're going to play their game. There's been times where Maryland, just for whatever reason, the end of that Nebraska game in, in, in regulation, Maryland wasn't pressing. Um, not sure as to why. Um, but look, Northwestern, Northwestern had a lot of troubles with Maryland's press. It wasn't an absurd number of turnovers, but you know, speeding them up it's a couple times where they did turn it over, throw the game away. It is you know, I I think I just think those are the two things that have been so good at home that we haven't seen on the road, and maybe it'll change now. I don't know. I, Willard has said they're turning a corner a little bit at home at, on the road. Um, obviously, and they I, are. I mean, they are. They are. Yeah, they're close. Like they almost beat very Purdue. close. They Michigan beat State, Nebraska. Who else? I mean, they they were really they were right they were there. they were beating Michigan State late in the second half. Yeah. So so those those last three or four road games, and then Minnesota, obviously the one in the middle there that win. So maybe they are getting close. Um, you know, the, the, the results certainly, you know, close doesn't really matter in, in terms of, you know, wins or losses. But you got to be able to find a way. I think I think Maryland will tonight at Ohio State. I'm not expecting the best crowd. I mean, that that fan base is totally apathetic right now. Some of them want Chris Holtman gone. Um, you know, he gets them to the tournament every year, but obviously a really tough season this year. Shades of kind of, you know, what happened last year with uh, with Maryland and Tersh, but don't have to get too much into that. Um, we'll see. I, I think I think Maryland wins this game tonight against Ohio State. Um, for the record, Sunday against Penn State, Maryland is projected to be a one-point favorite, 51% chance to win, according to Ken Palm. I just don't see a way Maryland goes into Bryce Jordan and wins. That place is like a nightmare for the Terps. But um, at least – Yeah, at, at least – but that crowd – the crowds have been good. I mean, Penn State, we, we don't have to talk about it, but that loss they had to Rutgers on Sunday, I think it was, was maybe the worst loss I've seen. In yeah, yeah there's, there's a few points from that. Before before we get into the future schedule, Maryland's goes away from their identity when they're on the road. And, yeah. and the reason why they've been so successful at home this season is because teams didn't really know what to expect from Kevin Willard's group. Like, like These Big Ten coaches have been around years and years and years, and they're all so familiar with each other. But when you come play Maryland in at Maryland at the Xfinity Center, you're they're pressing you. They're in your face. They're an incredibly physical def- defensive team. They're not a team that has a lot of size, but they're incredibly physical. They're going to crash the glass. They're they're going to put some bodies and some elbows on you. And that's that's what's been so impressive about this team from a defensive standpoint. And then offensively, their tempo is so fast. There's so many teams in the Big Ten that like to slow the game down, try to dictate the tempo and playing at third pace in terms of a slow um just in terms of a slow pace but for maryland they want to move and move and move they want to get jameer young out in transition and they want to move the ball quickly and then when they're in their half court offense what's been successful for maryland is drive and dish drive and dish they're an inside out offense either they're running sets to get uh julian reese hakeem hart or dante scott mid post or low post touches and playing out of those or jameer young 
a lot of the time, like we've talked about so much, is just pick and roll with Jameer Young and Julian Reese or even Hakeem Hart and Julian Reese sometimes, and then they're getting to the rim, getting downhill, and then they're kicking. It's an inside-out offense, and that's been their identity. That's when they're at their best offensively. But when they're on the road, they're not doing that. They're not getting into their sets as smoothly as, as they should be. They're taking rush threes, quick shots, poor shot selection. They just don't look like the same team. So it's hard for me to pick Maryland when they're on the road because, like I said, Minnesota's barely even a win to me. They really haven't won a game in the Big Ten on the road this season. So it's really hard for me to pick Maryland, but I'm still going to do it because this Ohio State team is nothing to play for. They're coming off a big win for them over Illinois, and they're still talented. Like They can compete with a lot of teams in the country, or excuse me, in the Big Ten from a talent perspective, even without Zed Key. But like you said, I don't think it's going to be a crazy atmosphere for this Ohio State game on a Wednesday night. I still I think Maryland's going to win by like six or seven. But I'm just looking at the start for Maryland. That's so important. If they can get off to a good start, like they really have, haven't been able to do on the road for pretty much the entire season, even even at neutral site locations when they played Tennessee. Yeah, Willard likes to point to the neutral site wins over Miami, over St. Louis, which were dominant wins for sure back in November. But then against Tennessee, they competed, they played hard, and they only lost by three, but they got off to a horrible start. Yeah. And we're trailing by like 17, I think, at one point in the first half. Um, so, so that's that's the big thing for me is just the start that I want to see. I, I do think Maryland's going to win this game. In terms of Penn State, this Penn State team is, it just embarrassed herself against Rutgers. Terrible. I thought I thought this team was going to make the tournament. I thought they were going to beat Maryland that last game of the season. They were going to go on like a three or four game winning streak to end the season, maybe win a game in the Big Ten tournament because they were first four out at that point. I haven't checked bracketology since, but I think they are still first four out. But that loss against Rutgers at home was inexcusable. Um, it was embarrassing. I mean, Mer- Penn State had every opportunity to make the tournament, and I don't think they're going to make it now. So that kind of makes me think, like, are they going to be desperate against Maryland that last game of the season? Or is there a scenario where they're just they're, they lose – tonight or tomorrow they play and then they're like our season's over and then they just they just roll will roll over even though when Shrewsbury was in college park he said this team will never quit we'll see that yeah it was a great rant by him but look Penn State is they have a tough slate they play at Northwestern tonight um, I would expect them to certainly lose that game and then I think Maryland would be all the marbles I, I don't think there's a situation where maybe they don't have anything to play for but, but is it but is it all the marbles? Because if they lose against Northwestern tonight, I, I'm just saying, and then internally. they beat Maryland, they're still not in the tournament. Right, right. I'm just I'm just saying more so internally, like from from a pride perspective. It's it's from a team. Like I don't think the team would think the season's over if they lost to Northwestern. Um, but I, I I get your point certainly. Um, look, these are two teams that Maryland is better than. Um, I think Maryland's going to beat Ohio State. The Penn State game, I will say, Penn State was lights out from deep. That's the recipe, and that's how that's how they'll kill you. If they shoot well at home, I don't see a way Maryland wins that game. I just don't. Um, yeah, I also think Jalen Pickett gets more respect at home. I mean, I mean yeah. Shrewsbury went on this rant after the game about how he's been getting no respect from from Big Ten officials, and he only got one foul shot against Maryland at home at in College Park. I do think Jalen Pickett since then has been getting more respect from the officials, but also especially at home, I think he'll probably get a better whistle. Yep, I agree. I, I would certainly agree. I mean, that guy. You can make the argument. I mean, outside of, you know, obviously Edie and Trace Jackson Davis are dominant. Jalen Pickett is, I think, the most all-around offensive player in the Big Ten. He is. He's certainly special to watch. 
yeah, he's been phenomenal. Um, Maryland, it is interesting because everyone, all fans like to point to the fact that Maryland's really struggled at the Bryce Jordan Center at Penn State. But, like, there's really no reason for it. Like, is that just, was that just a Turgeon thing? Like, Willard hasn't played there yet. Like, yeah. Is that just a Turgeon thing? I don't know if you can necessarily just chalk it up to, like, Maryland will forever struggle at Penn State. I mean, they're not going to have any fans there. Um, The students are going to be on spring break at that point. There's going to be no students there. That's yeah. That's this Sunday. Students are going to be spring break there. There is going to be no students there. There's really they don't have a good fan base. That they, they don't have electric atmospheres ever. It's like a library, like I said earlier. It is in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. So maybe it's just like a weird travel thing. But I don't. I don't know if that's going to be a con- yeah. thing that that's going to continue. That Maryland's just going to struggle at Penn State. We'll see. I think people are really scarred. Um, I will say the last time Maryland won at Penn State was February fourteenth, twenty fifteen. Okay. The, the last matchups, February 2017, six-point loss. February 2018, four-point loss. February 2019, 17-point loss. December 2019, seven-point loss. Well, that, and, that was that was when Maryland was ranked three, yeah, I believe, to yep, Penn State that was. the court. Yep. February 21, five-point loss. Uh, and then March 21. Oh, no. Yeah, February 21, five-point loss. Forgot uh, Penn State swept Maryland in uh, the 2021 season. Um, and then Maryland didn't go to Penn State last year. So this is their first trip since the 2021 season, 2020, 2021 season to Penn State. Um, yeah, Maryland's two and five at Penn State um, since 2010. That's what the that's what the UM Terps website is showing me. It is it, for whatever reason, I, I Sam Maryland fans are just terrified of playing there. And I would imagine it's probably different than with Willard. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Like, like those are all Turgeon's losses. Yeah. Almost, I mean, I mean, Juju, Juju Reese never played there. Um, but when Akeem Hart and Dante Scott played there, it was, it was COVID um, or their freshman year. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but, but certainly it's, it's definitely a valid concern though, uh, going on the road. Like I, I wouldn't blame anyone for being scared to, uh, play yeah. Freshman. Yeah. And uh, well, I mean, at this point in the season, you're scared anytime you go on the road. It doesn't matter right. who it's, um, but, but, some of these Maryland, I know they're scored, but let's give let's give Willard the benefit of the doubt here. Um, to not say that Bryce Jordan Center owns him. Um, no, <laughs> yeah, we'll see, we'll see on that one. But it, but it's really just more going on the road. That's what's. I mean, it's not going to be a crazy atmosphere there for Penn State's last home game, their senior night. But it's still going to be, um, it's it's still going to be a difficult place to play because a difficult game. Just because anytime they go on the road, it's a difficult game. After I said all that. I actually think Maryland's going to split as well and go one on one. I think they beat Ohio State tonight and then lose to Penn State. Not because the Bryce Jordan Center is some place where Maryland can't win, just because I think like Penn State will still be a desperate team at that point, and Maryland just isn't great on the road. Last game of the season before the Big Ten tournament, but at the same time, like if Maryland wins tonight, they know that they pretty much not guaranteed, but there's a very good chance that they just beat Penn State to lock up that two seed. So Maryland's a lot to play for too. It's a yeah. noon tip. It's a weird tip. Uh, that's I, I don't really want to predict that game yet. I want to see how the next few days play out. F- first tonight with against Ohio State. I'm kind of with you, by the way. Ohio State, you're but. you're very convincing right now. It we'll see. Maryland certainly has a lot to play for. There's there's pride on the line. There's you know seating on the line. NCAA tournament. Just the fact that they have. Uh, I'm going to bring it up again. Jekyll and Hyde NCAA tournament resume where they don't have any wins on the road. Um, but yeah, or you know, the one win on the road, Minnesota, and then Louisville obviously is the worst team in power conference basketball. Uh, but aside from that, um, 
look, you get you get one of these wins. Uh, I think Ohio State somehow is still a quad one win somehow because they're top 75 in the net. Um, I, I personally wouldn't count that as a good win. But Penn State, of course, would, would be a quad one road win. Um, it's interesting, man. We'll, we'll see. There's certainly, you know, there's, there's these road woes that I think have been hanging over every Maryland fan and every Maryland media member and every Maryland player and, you know, anyone involved with the program that's able to see that this team is just a different team on the road. Um, the answers are definitely, you know, some some statistical, some intangible, but we'll see. Maybe they, maybe they turn around. Who knows? Yeah, we, and we said it earlier. That's why it's just so hard to predict this team's success when they go to Chicago and when they are in the NCAA tournament because we don't know if it's the road atmospheres. We don't know what it is, but we know they're a phenomenal team in College Park and a really bad team on the road, neutral, yeah, we have some sample size, very small sample size from back in November, early December. Really, we we really don't know. No, we do not. But hey, maybe maybe we'll get an answer tonight. Yeah, I mean, there's a great chance to prove it and pick up their second road win. Only Real only qu- only one and a half point favorites, by the way, per DraftKings. Yeah, I mean that line says to take Ohio State, but I'm not giving out picks here. Yeah, <laughs> but no. that line does say to give Ohio State, even though I picked Maryland. Um, let me just say real quick. Just an update on the Big Ten standings. We said earlier that Maryland controls its own destiny, and it does. Um, Purdue is the number one seed. I mean, there's a scenario. There's a scenario where they lose the next two games. Like I said, and Maryland wins the next two, and Maryland clinches a share of the Big Ten title, but let's not even go there. Purdue is the number one seed in the tournament, and then the the standings are incredibly jumbled from here on out. Um, Maryland is tied for the second seed with or tied for number two. With Merritt, with Northwestern and Michigan, all those teams are eleven and seven. When I say Maryland controls its own destiny, um, Maryland, like we said, they have Ohio State and Penn State. Both games they should be favored, even though slight favorites, and both games they really should win, even though they're on the road. If Maryland wins those two games, they sh- they'll finish the Big Ten slate thirteen to s- and seven. By the way, remarkable accomplishment. We were talking yeah. about them being five hundred at one point. They've already clinched an over five hundred Big Ten record. But um, they 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 would be thirteen and seven, and then it really depends on Northwestern, Michigan, and even Indiana, who's who's in third place right now at eleven and eight. But let's just break this down: how the tiebreaker works. First off, if there's two teams tied, it's it's head to head record when when the teams played each other. So if it was Maryland Northwestern, Maryland obviously beat Northwestern, they would be one and a Maryland would get the edge. If it's Maryland Michigan. Because they're one and one, it goes it goes to it gets complicated. But if if it's two teams tied for second place, so if it's only Maryland and Michigan tied for second place, and they were one and one against each other on the year, so nobody gets the head to head record, then it goes to the record against the top team in the Big Ten, which would be Purdue. Maryland's one and one against Purdue. I haven't. I believe Michigan's zero oh and two. Let me check that real quick. I got to I got to fact check that that as well, um, but yeah, Purdue definitely beat Michigan at least once. Michigan is oh, Michigan's zero and one against zero and one. Yes, so so, so Maryland would get the edge. Mar- there. That would give Maryland the edge one and one. So there. Maryland would get the edge there. Um, but that's just if Maryland and Michigan are tied for the for the number two seed. If there's three teams tied for the number two seed, which is a very likely scenario, and let's say it's right now based on the standings, if the season ended today, it would be Maryland, Northwestern, Michigan. It's first based off head-to-head records. So Maryland beat Northwestern. So Maryland would get it over Northwestern. 
Michigan and Maryland again are one and one head to head. So nobody gets the edge there. But if it's three teams tied, instead of going to the record against the top team in the Big Ten, it's the record against those three teams. So it's Maryland and Michigan's record combined against Maryland, Northwestern, and Michigan. So for Maryland, that would mean um, they would be two and one against those two teams because they beat Northwestern once and one and one against Michigan. For Michigan, though, they're three and one. Um, against Maryland Northwesterns. They beat Northwestern twice and are one and one against Maryland. So Michigan would get the edge there. It's probably really confusing to anybody listening to this because it is really confusing. It's just record record versus the group. The only only yeah, way to jump down there. It's record versus the group. But just breaking down if it's between those three teams, Michigan would be if its season ended today, Michigan would be the two seed, Maryland would be the three seed, Northwestern would be the four seed. But the reason why I'm saying Maryland controls their own destiny because Maryland has a winnable schedule out. Michigan has a really difficult schedule. They have back-to-back road games. We know how hard those are to win in the Big Ten, especially it's a Thursday to Sunday when they're two straight road games. So they're going to be at Illinois tomorrow night, Thursday night. Tough, tough win because Illinois is still vying for their seeding in the Big Ten tournament. And then they're at Indiana another to close out the regular season, another really tough place to play. I'd be shocked, honestly, if Michigan was able to go 2-0 and in those two games. Um but if they do, it would probably be Michigan who gets that two seed. But if they don't, Maryland will be the two seed because if they can go 2-0 those next these next two games. So I probably did a pretty poor job of explaining that right there because it's pretty complicated. It's also, it's also really hard to listen to. It's something you just got to look at um, with your eyes and, yeah, just, <laughs> and see. No, and, no and, of this. Yeah. I, I, if Maryland goes 2-0 in the next two games, I would be shocked if they, they're not the two seed. I would agree. Do you agree? I would agree. Yes, I would agree with you. And if they go in one and one, I mean Indiana's lurking, but Indiana and Michigan play each other. I was lurking um, too. Yeah, I was lurking and I was the head to head. I was the only team out of those that actually has the head to head over Maryland. Um it, it's really it's really just gonna be really hard to figure out if Maryland goes one and one. Um, but obviously we will come Sunday and we'll, we'll we'll figure it out. I'd be surprised if Maryland isn't a top four seed in the tournament. They would really have to botch they'd have to go into. Yeah, they'd have to go into and botch this last week of the season if they're not a top four seed in the tournament, which is possible because it's two road games and Maryland struggled on the road. Can't say that enough, but I think yeah. that Maryland finds a way uh, to get a top four seed in the tournament, probably the two or three seed, which again, this team has finished to pick to finish 10th in the conference. It's crazy. Amazing accomplishment, regardless of if they finish two or if they finish five. They're, yeah. They secured an over 500 record in, in Big Ten play. Definitely, you want the double buy right now, but every, it feels like everything right now is comparable to preseason expectations. Certainly, you know, gravy. Yeah, definitely. Um, you got anything else? Um, no, just looking looking forward to the game tonight. Uh, game Sunday, obviously, you know, every game is is the biggest one of the season from here on out. So it should, it's a very exciting time. High high level or high level stakes for sure. Yeah, it sure is. And if you really want to know. Uh, the next few days unfold what seed Maryland actually be and how it'll all play out. And especially come Sunday when everyone's playing their last game, I would just say, follow us on Twitter and follow us yeah. times.com. And we'll, we'll keep you updated with all that. And then, like I said earlier, next week, we're going to do a full big 10 tournament preview. The standings will be set. It'll be a full big 10 tournament preview. And then we'll be in Chicago and giving you not live podcast, but immediate reaction podcast and a ton of other coverage on times.com live from Chicago next week. Um, so thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll, we'll talk to you next week when the regular season is done.